The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. That's Hello, one. everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Eli Gate 25. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM, 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. We're back to only one disclaimer, so we must be in the good graces of the studio, yeah? <laughs> we must not have screwed up last <laughs> week or something. I don't know. I think we should go for a hat trick one week. You remember the one time I actually did something wrong? I turned red and sweat the whole time we were on air. Well, that's because done. right before the show, you bragged about the fact that you had never dropped an F-bomb on the radio, and then you went about and did it that yeah, show. Yeah, that was a tough show. That Good for, well, we, you bleeped it. so we it, it wasn't the Well, best. you didn't bleep it. I, I didn't bleep right. it. They bleeped it. Mm-hmm. So, All right, so around 4.05, we'll have Chris Terrian join us to talk some hockey. Good sound there. <laughs> Jeff is the consummate professional with the microphone noise as he moves things over because yep. why would you do that before we go on the air jeff make sure everybody's ear i didn't know it wasn't oiled so <laughs> i did so we'll have chris terry it's not a like little the bit. power outlets work uh we're gonna talk <laughs> ice wars international jeff we're gonna talk flyers tell us what is ice wars uh, well we'll ask him okay. but basically ice wars seems to be that they took away every part of hockey mm-hmm. except for the fighting and the ice so everything uh a phantoms fan would have loved. Which is why Frank Bialois is one of the judges. involved with the league. Yes. Uh, so we will we will have Terry and Colin. The best in part from... is you can actually buy the judges' jerseys. Yes, you can. Uh, so you can go on Ice Wars International and you can get a Frank Bialois. The an- it says the animal on the back. You're just going to get that just to wear something that says the animal <laughs> walk around. So we'll have that at 405. We'll talk some flyers with him, figure out what the heck we're going to do with this organization. And then at 4.35 or 4.30, we'll have Gary Waters, Somewhere author, in character area. coach, on to talk about uh, name, image, and likeness and the craziness that ensued this week. Jeff, I do see our guest coming on, so we'll get to him in a second. There is the man himself, Chris Terrian. How you doing today, sir? You guys hang on one sec. No problem. Jeff and I will just keep talking. We were just talking about Ice Wars and basically how they seem to have taken everything from Hockey Way except for the fighting, the ice, and the skates. Looks pretty cool. It is. It's kind of it's an interesting concept for sure. And I mean, I'll tell you guys how I got involved and everything we want to know. So it's pretty. It's interesting for sure. It actually came from a referral from Joe Watson, whose friend from Smithers, British Columbia, did this. So that's how the whole thing came together for me. So first of all, you're up in Alberta now, right? That's where I this am. is. So how great is it to be for a hockey guy in, a, in Alberta when Edmonton and Calgary are the two remaining Canadian teams fighting it out? Yeah, it's been since 1991, so it makes it even, it makes it even cooler. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's certain, there's certain rivalries in sports that a lot of people know about and some don't. But, you know, in, in the U.S., it wouldn't be as prevalent to know about this unless you're a true hockey fan. And it's awesome to be, you know, part of this. You know, I mean, it's it's crazy. Every every single Albertan has been part of this this insanity that's going on, and and it probably couldn't have been a better scenario the way the first game went with a nine six crazy score, and Edmonton had initially tied it. So pretty interesting, though. But it's it is a lot of passion. It really is in Canada very much uh, as as big a rival. It's a Red Sox Yankee type of thing. That's how big it is. Those 15 goals were amazing. That game was something else to watch. So, so you're up there in Alberta. Joe Watson uh, told you about this. Tell us about Ice Wars that's going to happen for people so that they can watch and learn about it before we get to the Flyers. 
Yeah, you know what? I think I think it's going to be a really really cool thing to uh, to see. Joe Watson had a friend that had founded it, and they were looking for a broadcaster, and and so you know me not doing flyer stuff anymore has kind of opened up. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to be a part of this. Um, it's going to be you know it's out here at the uh, River Creek Casino in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, if you want to watch it, it's on Fight.tv, and the website for it is iwifights.com. Iwifights.com, and it'll be it's going to be a, bit, a pretty big deal. It's basically a new combat league. One thing we're very proud of. Uh, is is in fact our safety standards that we have. The guys have the MMA gloves on, leather chin straps on the helmets. Uh, be two one-minute rounds with a 30-second kind of what we call like a punch-off. Um, if we get to that point, we have judges. Uh, balance will be part of it, you know. So we're we're scoring this uh, very much like a boxing match. I'm not a judge. I'm just calling the action with uh, with a couple other guys that are involved in it. But it's going to be quite an event, guys. It's certainly, I think, a new sport. And and you know, it's funny. It's it's a new sport, but it's not a new sport. You know, it's been around for a hundred years since the infancy of hockey. You know, since they've been playing it. And uh, it's and many people for many years it's always been the best part of the sport. You know, you've never seen anybody sitting down in a hockey fight. And of course, we're talking in philadelphia where you had a team kind of born uh in its infancy out of, out of uh, a camaraderie of toughness and, and and fighting the broad street bully so um it's gonna it's gonna be quite a thing and uh and again and aj galante who's the founder with the netflix special came on he said let i gotta let everybody know this is not hockey this is prize fighting on ice my, that's my, exactly right my favorite part is how they started dropping the hockey gloves to start the fight that's the best uh, you know, tell me what you're thinking. You're, you're going to call this. You've never called anything like this, but you've been in plenty of fights. These guys are going to have their gear on two minute, one, two, one minute rounds. How tired are they going to be after this thing gets going? Yeah. And I, and I don't tell myself as any kind of a fighter at all. Like I was a pretty, you know, honorable player. I had, you know, I had the odd fight once in a blue moon, but these guys here, like they're real. Like a lot of these guys are senior men's league players. Uh, they've had, uh, uh, sometime in the minors the highest some guys have gotten have been to the american league there's a guy here for example his name is john morasti uh, his name is synonymous with just about i mean there's not a hockey player that you could talk to in north america that doesn't know who john morasti is he's one of our judges um legendary and if you go into the, the movie goon a lot of these characters guys are those type of players from the movie goon you know with uh uh you know the leave schreiber schreiber character in that movie they say was is, it was basically you know, made after John Morasti. Uh, so, you know, I've talked to them. I said, you know, what's in it? There's prize money in it. And these guys really just do want to be crowned king of the rink. So as for me, I'm going to help uh, uh, Phil uh, uh, Jubile uh, Jubileo, who did a lot of the, the stuff for the Danbury Trashers, where this whole thing started. That Netflix special gives everybody kind of a setup, uh, untold crimes and penalties of how this thing started. Uh, and it's just a really, really interesting story. So I'm going to be honest, just... Uh, like not, nothing different, Colin helping call in on the action, and uh, hopefully we have some really, really good belts. I know we will. These guys are spoken to a lot of them this morning. Man, they really want to win this. They really want to win that crown as well. Yeah, well, but Chris, the, the, the key to me is the other judge or one of the other judges is Frank the Animal Bialois, who we all know here. Is there any chance that we could get the two judges to fight each other? <laughs> so so listen to this, guys. This is actually – I actually have another special, too. That I'm going to tell you a little story. There actually might be, and I think I'm going to actually go on the, the more yes side of – we have a very special guest coming tomorrow night. Um, but there's, there's a lot – there's going to be a lot of, like, crazy stuff going on, uh, Jeff and uh, – It'll be, it'll be interesting. You know, I talked to flyers and I was just saying, you know, I don't let the cat out of the bag. I'm walking through the casino yesterday and Carter Hart's father stops me. And I'm like, wow, Carter Hart from Edmonton. So what are you guys <laughs> doing? What are you doing Saturday night? 
Please, oh, oh, please don't let him. Don't have to don't, don't yeah, have Carter don't go out fight. and fight. Yeah, let's. let's. <laughs> he's not. He's not fighting, but he yeah. wants to come out the casino. This is a really big, big casino here in this area, guys, and it's really, really. It's on the Cree Nation territory. Uh, they do a great job, so they have a lot of events come in here. This just happens to be the Saturday night fights, uh, and so we're we're hoping we're going to get the the great young Philadelphia netminder out here at the uh, at the fights on Saturday. It's a local casino for him. You know, it it provides a great transition into him and and what happened with the team this season. You know, we'll obviously encourage everybody to to get it on Fight TV and and watch your commentary. You've called a lot of Flyers games. You've been with this organization a long time, 47 years next week since they've won a championship. All the talk right now about coach, team, what's next. If you're looking at the coach, what type of coach does this team need to change the culture and what style of play does the current roster fit? Yeah, I mean, both really good questions. You know, I think there's there's a lot of coaches out there. I think by the time this is done, unless the Flyers make uh, their mind up to to try to get, uh, like, say, a Barry Trotz in on the interview, which was, I think, supposed to happen. They heard it got canceled from for maybe some weather issues. But nonetheless, I mean, you're, they're looking at some high-profile guys. You know, again, you know, like, I, I didn't say this, but but their former coach, uh, Mike Yo did. I mean, at the end of the year, he said, uh, I don't care who you are. If you were Toe Blake or Scotty Bowman, he couldn't have had success with this team. So, I mean, he said that, right? No one else did. So, basically, he's making a comment about his entire hockey team. That I, I've known things about this group, guys. Like, I don't really – I don't think this is a team destined to win anything as it sets right now. I'm not I'm stepping out of bounds saying it. They're just not. I mean, they're fifth worst from the bottom of the league this year. Um, there's really nothing in the pipeline in terms of anybody coming up. Um, you have to do a good job drafting. You know, the Nolan Patrick play at second overall becomes a, an absolute – you know, uh, you decimate your team for, for a longer time when a high pick like that doesn't come home to roost. And that's what happened. There's a lot of problems that have happened here, uh, whether it's the guys got oversold their value by, you know, prior management or current management telling you this is what we have, this is what we have. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that have to happen. There has to be personnel changes. They've got to do a better job through the draft, uh, tweaking with uh, free agency. It's not the free agency that people once remembered of everybody wanting to come to Philadelphia. That's not the case anymore. You know, there's other teams that are that are our destinations now. Uh, to me, I still know that this this franchise can be restored to greatness. Uh, this is a passionate fan base, and when I looked out this year, some nights, and there's five thousand people there, it made me sick to my stomach. And I'm thinking to myself, how did this happen? Well, uh, you keep shoving out the the mascot every single night and, and doing things and, and doing things with a team that nobody cared about, and then you add a really really bad product on the ice. Um, you're left with 5,000 people at a hockey game uh, with also the pandemic as well around it. You're right that you need to do something about the draft, but that's a long-term solution. What can they do over the next year or two that can at least bring them back to getting in the playoffs and people being excited about going to the games? I don't think there's anything they can do right now except just put a, 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 on, a, on, a, on a prayer, a hockey prayer, and say hopefully we make the playoff. This team, the way it's going, guys, I mean, there's no there's no plug and play in the next two or three years that I could see unless you get, yeah, long-term is getting those guys. I don't know how you're going to get a free agent that's going to come in here and change the course of a franchise one year, nor do I know that I want that. I mean, I've, I've, I've openly said for well over a year, uh, even they missed, they missed the playoffs two years in a row. Uh, it, it's time to say like, we need to do what the Rangers did. We need to be honest with our fan base and say, guys, we, we're rebuilding, be patient with us. We're going to try to put the best pro- product on the ice. that exemplifies who this city is, the history of the franchise, but also making changes for, you know, the modern game, you know, for whether that's coaching, whether that's, uh, you know, more the dealing with more skilled players and the rough and tumble players, 
Um, either or, you need somebody in here that's going to be able to fix this, a general manager that has an understanding of the team he's going to put on the ice uh, and have his uh, have his handprint all over it. And right now, it, it just looks, guys, like there's, they're just going all over the place. I'm not sure where that, where that uh, necessarily leads. They need a coach. We don't have a head coach right now. The last coach sat beside the general manager and said, those two great legendary coaches can't coach his team. So I'm going by that. Uh, it's that's about as pretty blatantly honest as possible, and I tend to agree with that. Look, I'm hoping that money talks. You talk about 5,000 fans in a stadium, almost a 40% drop in their TV ratings, um, and that was the worst part to me this season. Worse than even the play on the ice was the apathy that this rabid fan base had to this once proud team. And so you talk about short-term, long-term. What do they do? It seems like they've tried to separate themselves from their past culture but their current culture is not a good one in the eyes of the fans. What do you do to bring fans back separate from the product on the ice, other than asking them, how do you feel? Well, you know what? And that, that's a great question. And you know what, guys? I wish I had a full answer for you for that, but I'm scared. I'm really, truly worried about the future of this team. I mean, they came in here and made overhaul decisions that the fans, like I walk down the street and or I go to a Wawa and I hear the 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 new branding that this new, the, the new business side has tried to do. I mean, they've told them, well, Flyer fans are going to have to kind of wake up and get up with the times. But what does that mean? I don't understand what that means. I mean, we've had a product here. Yeah. So, I mean, if the biggest complaint that Flyers fans had in, in, since 1975 was that the team hasn't won. Well, I mean, the Flyers have always given the, the you know, with Snyder at the helm, given the city an opportunity to try to win. One team wins, right? At the end of the day, I had some great teams. We did not win a cup. We probably should have won one or two. It didn't happen. Um, so, but again, when you start doing the things that, that they've done and, and doing, making changes to a team where the bulk of this, the market in Philadelphia wants to go to the hockey game. They want to talk to the fan next to them at the intermission. They want to hear an organ play. Sometimes they don't want to hear some drum beating at the beginning of the game and gritty everything all night long. Um, that's not what it is. And I hear that every single time I go out there, like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I was an old school fan. And I, I'm done. I'm done, whether it's the product. And a lot of times, too, you hear the product. You know, we don't. We went out there to, to watch a more physical uh, encounter than we saw, and, and the game has changed. There's a lot of that, guys. But in Philadelphia, the, the roadmap had been laid out many, many years ago, and all anybody had to do over time was just stick to that. Hockey departments changed, but the fabric of this city and the fan base has always been about going to see a good, hard hockey game, um, enjoying uh, the other Philadelphians at the game. And I see it every single night. I mean, even in 2007, guys, I can make a case for it. 2006-7, they were the worst team in the league by a mile. They were sold out every night. Every single night they were sold out. So, you know, something's happened between now and 2022, whether it's the state of the game. Uh, but I really do think that the Flyers helped in their own demise. And the people at the top running this organization either weren't, didn't understand what this was, had no clue about the history of Philadelphia sports, which I suspect some of it is. They send people in to come to work now. You have to watch a Flyers video about the history of the team. I mean, what is that? I mean, I could get my three daughters to go in there and work at any single department the Flyers have, and they would know exactly what, what Philadelphia sports is about, the history of the Flyers, and what the, pa the passion of this fan base is all about. And it's about the product on the ice and having a, a real chance to have success in the playoffs every year. That's it. The rest is just white noise. Chris, we, we could talk to you about hockey and, and now boxing all day, but we know you have to go. But before, we, before you go, uh, it is Mental Health Awareness Month, and mm -hmm. you have been 
giving back to the community for so long. And now your latest effort involves the Pennsylvania Recovery Center. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the Pennsylvania Recovery Center and how people can either get involved or get the help that they need? You know, when, when my hockey journey ended with the Flyers, uh, you know, I wasn't prepared for that. This has been the greatest thing that I've been able to do. Uh, and, and for that, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful. Yeah, I get to do, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a spin on it in a sense that um, it's allowed me to share my story. Pennsylvania Recovery Center, we were limitless recovery. We merged this year with a, a bigger outfit to try to give us more of a push down in Fishtown and, and Center City. Um, I, I've, from where I was a year ago, probably when we spoke last, Jeff, I, I just think it's uh, I've, I, I've come so far in terms of where, uh, you know, my messaging is that becomes that important when I put a video out or I just want to say something. I just want people to know whether it's alcohol, uh, addiction, drugs, mental health issues, something's bothering you. Just just have enough courage uh, or find the wherewithal to say I need help. Because that when I look back at it in my journey, that was the hardest part. You know, everyone knows I'm pretty much now uh, the community knows, you know, I had a, a real battle with alcohol at the end of my career. And I came through it and I've gotten 11 and a half years sober. Um, it's been the greatest reward that I've given myself in my life. I've had an amazing ride. Uh, I have a book coming out at the end of the year where I really uh, I post a lot of these stories. So uh, I did that last year. It was very moving in a lot of ways because it opened up a lot of back doors and a view for me to look from the, the back end of where I once was. But, you know, letting people know in Pennsylvania Recovery Center, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, we're an aftercare facility. Uh, we get places from a lot of other great facilities, whether it be local, like Karen Recover, uh, Karen Treatment Center in Wernersville. If someone leaves a place like that, they'll end up coming to us where we get uh, the aftercare for them that they need. To, to, so they're able to get back out on the street again, get a job, live their life. Because, yeah, all those things that you had before uh, that you were safe from, from your 30 days in rehab, you know, when you're walking the street again and you're out, you have to be able to live. And, and that's really what I want people to understand. But have no fear. Have no shame in who you are. You know, we're human beings. We make mistakes. Uh, we go down wrong paths sometimes. And if we write them or if we want to have the intent to write those ships, then that's probably the most honorable thing you can do as a human being. And I, you know, implore every single person out there to, to be true to themselves, be and honor themselves. If you have something wrong, just ask for help. It's as easy as that. Well, look, hopefully athletes, former athletes, just everyday people talking about these challenges and normalizing it as opposed to taking and having that stigma around it so that people can start to feel comfortable asking for help. It's a great thing that you're doing out there. We look forward to the book coming out and always appreciate the time. Look forward to your call on the ice tomorrow night. And uh, thanks, Chris. We hope the Flyers turn it around and uh, appreciate what you're doing in the community. Call on the ice with no pucks. That's <laughs> right. We look forward to it, man. You take care of yourself. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. So, Jeff, you know, Chris could have a great time out there calling it, but you know, let's talk about the important thing that he talked about. He talked about what he's doing in the community now, and we've talked about it with other people on uh, for Mental Health Awareness Month, and we've talked about the idea of what it means to have athletes out there talking about these challenges, people who... Look, I looked up to flyers and thought they were invincible. I never knew the challenges they were going through going up. They didn't talk about it. Having them talk about it now, it's like, oh, this is actually going on. Especially hockey players. I mean, hockey players are used to, they could have their teeth falling out. They could have their shoulders Put separated. Put a band on it, stitch their it up. Their eye could be falling out of their socket. And, and they go in, and then they come out five minutes later, and, and they play. And so they have this invincibility factor that we've all grown up thinking about. And so physically, they have that invincibility, and people have always assumed that mentally it means the same thing. And having people like Chris out in the community talking about not only their own journeys, but how they can help other people, 
is so important, not just this month, but every single day. And the more that we have athletes talking about it, the more that we have everybody talking about it, the better society is for it. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, we'll do the hard turn back to hockey. Um, I wish I could disagree with him about the state of the organization. I just can't. They're over the cap. I think I had tears in my eyes when he said I mean, <laughs> I mean it, there's, there's no answer. What I wanted to ask him about, and I knew that he was under a deadline, is Johnny Hockey, Johnny Goudreau, is a somewhat local kid. And I believe he's a free agent after this year, or there's a way. So, Gonna have to take a pay cut to fit under this cap. Well, so that was my question to you. He said that getting a big name may not be something that we want to do right now. That we need to build through the draft and build young and be honest with our with our Philadelphians. If you could get him, would you want him now, or would it just be a waste? Similar, he's well, just a younger version of, of Claude Giroux. I don't think that you can have young players without veteran leadership. So I think there is a role for veterans, even when you promote the youth. But I think Chris touched on the problem is Fletcher can say that youth will be served. What youth? Well, that's the problem. What youth Carter is in Hart the system? Was the youth. Travis Konechny? I mean, there are some young players. There's just not enough of them. And they have made mistake after mistake with the free agents that they have brought in here. How many have turned other than so Kevin Hayes and he got hurt? How many of the how many of the veteran free agents that they spent big on have turned out to be good signings? That's the well, not many, right? And that's the and that that's the a, question, that's a general manager. That was the question that I didn't get to ask him because I knew we were tight on time. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how it goes to the top and and they give out the flyers video, meet the flyers, which is depressing, by the way, it's just beyond depressing that you have to like teach somebody about. I get it, bringing outside people in. But they need to have an understanding of the history of this organization. At the same time, has this team... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Stop. His, they they want to give people a video on the history of this organization. And earlier this year, they didn't even honor, honor Ed, Snyder. Ed Snyder, who is the history of this but organization. But that gets to the question I didn't ask. Are the people in charge the right people? No. here Because they here's don't the, seem like it. Well, here's the problem. It seems like when you have teams that are owned by corporations, the passion isn't there. The money may be there, but there's nobody at the top that's loving their team. As much as we all hate Jerry Jones, and I think we can all agree on that, Jerry Jones owning the Cowboys, you know, he said he could get $8 billion. I don't know if he actually can, but he said he's not, cha- he's not selling the team. It's that those kind of owners, they take it personally. Having the corporate structure that is the Flyers who who's the face of the Flyers front office? Gritty. No, so, but seriously, <laughs> That's who, I'm serious. Do you, do you know who's who's making who's making the hire of the general manager? Probably Dave Scott. Okay, why? Who's who's because Dave he's Scott? head of Comcast? Head of Comcast. Or, well, from the he's organization. He's head of a telecommunications company. But, well, they own the team. Right, but that but that's my point. Dave Scott's not. He may be a good guy. He may care about the team, but he doesn't care about the team. In the way Look, that Jeffrey Laurie cares I, I about a team, it's not his money. You're going to hate that I make this reference. Yeah. In the early well, nine, in the early nineties, TNT and Turner owned yeah. a wrestling corporation. Oh, good lord! We have to go wrestling. And, <laughs> and they put corporate people in to run this entity. Right. And none of them could run it because they didn't understand it. If you don't come from sports. If you don't understand where you're working, it's just like you as a lawyer. If you don't understand how the court works, you could make the best argument. You will still lose if you don't know the ins and out of the courts. These guys don't seem to know 
what this city needs, and then how to put the team together that will do it. Well, I agree with you to a point, but I also think that when you have personal accountability, when it's yours that's on the line, the owner, the teams that have owners that it's your, that it's theirs, take it personally. This is their money. This is, in most cases, this is their city. You know, Ed Snyder, this was his, his city. And, and so that mattered, and there was a connection to the fan base. Comcast make, can build tower after tower. People don't sit there and go, that's the connection to the city. Do you know the most frustrating part to me of watching? You know, he talked about the 15 goals scored in the Calgary-Edmonton game. The Watching these other teams play, Florida, Tampa Bay, the Flyers aren't anywhere close to any of them. The speed, they played a different speed. Well, Ca- Calgary's got, this is it. This is their swan, they, like their entire team is free agents. Would the Flyers score 15 goals in a whole series? Oh, in a whole series? No. Like there were 15 goals in game no. one. And, and I got to tell you, I've been to a lot of, Stadiums and arenas, the Calgary Stadium and the that Saddle Dome, base, right? It's like a religious experience. The stadium's I, I really cool, right? With the sound, the way that it is the there, the sound and the flames coming out of the scoreboard, yeah. and and the the passion with which they sing their national anthem. Everything from the second you get in there to the moment the last buzzer sounds, that place rocks like no other stadium I have ever been to in any sport. I do find it fun having them. And there's Edmonton. nothing else to do, but. Having them in Edmonton play. I could do without the Rangers and Carolina playing, but, you know, what can you do? Well, apparently so could Carolina fans. Okay, so what do you think about that? Where So if, for those that don't know, Carolina decided to do what lots of other teams decided to do. I remember the Nationals tried to do it years ago, stop Phillies fans from going down to National Stadium because they kept coming and taking over the game. So Carolina decided they didn't want Rangers fans coming over and taking over. Jeff, you think that's ridiculous. I do. I, I think in college sports it's different. That's more territorial. In pro sports, let's face it, it's about money except for the fans themselves. If Carolina or any other team can't sell out their stadium for the playoffs, too bad. They're, first of all, the owners that sit there and say we're going to prevent people from doing it, they're not really preventing them from doing it. They're going to make sure that every one of those tickets is sold. But they're sitting there saying we're going to prevent Rangers fans from going. It's not going to work. Everything's done through secondary markets for the most part anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's Carolina. I don't know. <laughs> do you, by the way, do you know whether it's North? I know the answer, but do you know whether it's North or South Carolina? It's just Carolina. It's North. Nobody. But and, and, it's in and Raleigh. When I was watching the game the other day, the first thing you see behind the guy they're interviewing after he scores the winning goal is somebody wearing a Hartford Whalers jersey. <laughs> 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 there are people in Carolina wearing Hartford Whalers jerseys. Let's leave it. Send there. them back. Let's head to break. When we come back, we'll talk some basketball. We'll have Coach Gary Waters join us, talk game name, image, and likeness. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, Coach Gary Waters will be on in a minute, but I wanted to give you the opportunity as somebody who's worked around politics in the past uh-huh. for you to offer your take uh-huh. on what the city council for Philadelphia did this week. MVP? Most valuable Philadelphian. If it makes Joel Embiid feel a little bit better, then it's fine. 
Do we really need to be wasting time on that? Not you and I talking about Was it. Was it not the most? But like, does the, the city most, council have look, nothing better to do than to make him the most valuable Philadelphian? Having been a communications director before, I totally understood it. Having been a sports fan, I'm totally over this this chase for the MVP. I'd prefer you chase the damn title at this point. Uh, I stop prefer getting that disappointed when you don't win a trophy that isn't the Larry O'Brien Trophy at the end. Well, you know what? Maybe he can go to UCF if he wants to go back to school. Aren't they the ones that that, that gave themselves a national the Q- champion? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, some it's rumor season that a lot of people report about rumors or mock drafts and no. trades. Oh, okay, and so here's my public. You do public not like the reporting statement. of mock. And anybody who reports on somebody else's mock draft, let's make this clear: that's not news. In That's fairness. not reporting on a rumor. It's reporting on a mock draft by somebody else. This is actually a bank shot double hit for you because you dislike mock drafts to begin with. Right. But you dislike reporting Clickbait. on mock drafts no, I... even less than that. So I'll ask you about a potential trade then. There's talk this week that Matisse Oh, wait, I hope the reporters are paying attention so that they can report this as the next mock trade. There's talk this week that the Bulls are interested in Matisse Thibel. Would would you trade him? For what? As quickly as it's possible. Not, I mean, okay, somebody's that's not a trade though. <laughs> that's the okay, so a team wants him. What do you what are we getting for? I didn't say there was an actual trade. I said that the Bulls were interested. Oh, who cares? This is you news, to, Jeff. You, come on. You ha- who's who gave that this, news? This made oh, a news we're story. We're not are you kidding me? Yeah. This is a news story. I love telling you these things on the air. It's the best. You can't be serious. That's a news story. I found something. Like, that's not even a mock draft. That's just somebody is interested in somebody. I'll look for it again. I guarantee you, you can. We we are now reporting live on the air that there are many, many teams interested in Tyrese Maxey. Uh, Actually, how's uh, that? NBC Sports has it as a story. No. The Bulls have interest in Matisse Thibel. So do lots of other sites. Every NBA team has an interest in Tyrese Maxey. You just want to report that and put that out there? I'm reporting it right so, now. So my, my concern is this <laughs> effort to go star hunting again this season uh, is going to leave us with like nobody on the bench well, and no youth There's the a team. possibility we could end up with Joel Embiid, James, half of James Harden, and, <laughs> and, and Bradley Beal, assuming he's healthy again, and then we're going to have to go find a bunch of, of minimum wage G League players. Okay, isn't that the problem them. though? Miami has ten guys on their roster. You yeah. sent me this yeah. that were either undrafted, undrafted. Yeah. and they're playing productive minutes. The Sixers don't have that. And when they draft young guys, they don't play them. No. Like they, they found they don't out do, Paul they don't Reed couldn't forget play. Forget whether they play them. They they're obviously not developing them and finding the right people to fit in here. I don't know why, after all of this time, they have not been able, since Joel Embiid has been here, the only big men behind him, other than this year they had one in Andre Drummond and traded him away, is time after time, their other first-round picks, like Nerlens Noel and Okafor, but they have not been able to find somebody in the draft or a, free, a young free agent that they could develop into a serviceable 10 to 12 minute center to give Joel Embiid a break. That's what they need to do. Jeff, while we work to get Gary, uh, we might have written down the wrong number for Brett, so I'll have you give it to him again. Uh, We'll keep talking about basketball. So we're going to get into name, image, and likeness. And we saw a brouhaha this week with uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders. 
Um, I, I would say that Nick Saban is not the best messenger for this effort in terms of what should be and should not be paid for people in terms of whether they're being recruited and what they're doing. But it was very interesting, and I want to get into Gary, where the line is between recruiting and buying. Because this week we had accusations from Nick Saban of buying players. And Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders did not appreciate it at all. What was amazing is he pulled he pulled back the curtain behind what everybody's known for years and decades, which is, and now we have a situation where players are getting paid over the table, on top of it. It's not behind the scenes. And people like Nick Saban, who had a competitive advantage, lost that competitive advantage. And that's really why he's upset, because everybody else is on the same playing field. Where was he saying this? He was saying it in front of local business people. Yeah, it was a seven-minute... Boosters. Rant. People that he could basically, by saying this, saying, hey, you guys got to step up, and you got to start offering big NIL money. And the problem is, as big a school as Alabama is, doesn't have the kind of alumni base that other places may have. I mean, like place like USC can clean up. You get and, no, and, 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 and as a pit grad, I'm not happy about the fact that they could do that because Jordan Addison, who was the best wide receiver in the country, left, and it was pretty clear what was going on there. Well, we, we've got a, a good person who knows a lot about the system to join us here. Coach Gary Waters, thanks for giving us a few minutes to look at the issues. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing better than the NCAA right now. I, I opened the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and they've got the headline, NIL money plus transfer portal equals chaos. Coach, <laughs> Coach Waters, in this year alone, we've got 1,400 players in the portal. We've got ADs and coaches not sure how they're going to deal with the NIL situation and saying it might not be sustainable. What are your thoughts on how this is all playing out? Well, you know what? I thought it was going to it was going to be a, a hectic issue. I really did. Um, you know, you you said there's 1,400 in the portal. Yeah. yeah. Let me give you something even tougher than that. There's only 900 destinations. Well, that's the the interesting thing. Last year, there were 1,300 players in the portal, and only 63 percent of them ended up at new schools. 31 percent didn't have a place to land as of this day. So, yeah, so they lo- know, so they lost their scholarships. Well, they they exactly. step away, they lose their scholarship, or there was the seven percent that actually went back to the school that they were trying to transfer out of because they realized the grass wasn't greener. Right, right, right. It's you know this is this is exactly what I thought would happen way back. I mean, when I tell you when I was there, you know, I don't, I'm now retired for five years. Okay, going on five years. And and uh, uh, 2017 is when I retired. I knew it then that it was going to be a problem. And is that, is that something? If you knew it was coming, is that is it? Is, was that part of your decision to to retire? Was you just don't want to deal with this? And and from what you've heard from other coaches, are coaches just getting exhausted by the fact that really this is nothing short of the Wild West now? So you're exactly right. And if you think about three of the coaches that got out of the business, one was uh, Coach K. I'm, I'm telling you, one of the reasons is he didn't want to say, well, I'm too old to be dealing with all this. 
Uh, uh, then you have Kansas State's coach. He, he decided, I don't want any more of this thing, and he left. I mean, it, it, it's, you're going to see many more make that decision. Yeah, and we, and we and locally we've seen Jay Wright, you know, at the top of his game, step away. He hasn't given re- a real reason for it. But you got to think that if if you're a coach right now, you you can't determine what you're going to do from week to week because if a kid doesn't get playing time, sometimes they're looking for something else. And you know, we talk we talked to Michigan um, University of Michigan's athletic director at the beginning of this transfer portal thing, and this was something he was concerned about. But now add on top of it. NIL. So you not only have kids that are saying, I'm going to keep looking for greener pastures, but now I'm going to look for greener pastures. Now I'm going to look for money. How is a coach, can can you deal with that? Well, I I knew it would be a difficult thing to navigate through. I mean, it's going to, the thing with it is, it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. You know, the more they keep getting involved in the and, and the more kids that really make a decision to do so, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a tough situation. You know, I I put air quotes around this, but you know, the NCAA quote the governing body has largely stepped aside as far as regulating NIL. They seem to be afraid that putting any limitations on deals would lead to legal battles that they don't want. Though they did put out a guidance on May 9th, just a guidance. That they don't want increased involvement of collectives where people pool their money. Can you tell me your thoughts on how the NCA is or is not handling the situation? It looks like they're leading from behind once again. Yeah, and I think you know I think it has gone too far. And what I think could happen, and this is what my concern is, you're going to see people break away from the NCAA, meaning Power Five saying, "Why should we deal with this? We can create our own situation and do it." And, and, you know, they wanted to do it back in, I'm going to say, 16, 2016, and the NCAA talked them out of it. But I'm going to tell you, if it continues at this rate, you can see that possibly happening. What does a world of college sports look like with the Power Five conferences driving things more than they are already rather than the NCAA is supposedly the overarching governing body? Well, you take the little guy, he's, he's, he's out of the picture. He's out of any kind of uh, participation at the highest level financially in, in co- college athletics. You know, right now you have, you have, some, you have the NCAA in basketball. Now they, you know, they have a tournament that they can still participate in. However, if, if they break away, something is going to happen. They may create new tournaments. I don't know. Yeah, and and you've had the the luxury of coaching in both situations. You've coached at a at a big school in, in Rutgers, a Big Ten school. Yes, right. I call. Yeah, it it's a big, big school. school, Jeff. And, That's right. And and what we used to call as a mid major at, at Cleveland State. And so, looking at it from both perspectives, how exactly do you solve the problem without further separating the the haves from the have nots? Well. I, I, you know, I don't know if you can solve it that way. See, what's going to happen is the money will drive what direction they go. And when you think about the Power Five, it's all about college football. And, and, and I mean, if you're talking billions of dollars. So now, you know, someone's going to have to make a decision which direction to go. But, and then they won't even think a second thought about telling the little man you cannot be a part of the party. Yeah, and you're going to have situations where 
where the student athletes who deserve money at this point, they're, they are basically paying for or getting paid for, for work. But you're going to have these student athletes who are going to ask for a bigger part of this pie. You, I would not be surprised if they start asking for the TV money, and it's going to impact athletic programs from all over the country. Is there a is, yeah? Is there a way to to help the student athlete, but also salvage the programs? Well, I see they've, they've opened up Pandora box, and uh, when you open up that box, now you got an issue where it's hard to go back in and, and bring something out of it. See, they've they've left the courts rule on it. And once you let the courts rule, all they're going to do is rule more and more. So uh, I don't know if they can go back in there, but I'm going to say this, is that the uh, the NCAA had an opportunity back in, I'm going to say, uh, 2014, 2013, to really get involved in this thing, because they knew way back then that this, this could be an issue with the NIL. And they could have they could have curved it, they could have put things ahead of it, but now they're to a point. I don't think they can bring it back out. And and, and you know, I, I I was on the NC in the NABC board, and one of the things I suggested, even then, I said, you know, we got to find a way to 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 incentivize this whole situation and have these kids be able to make make some type of money within the issue. Now they did certain things. For instance, you know, the cost of living, they did that kind of concept, and, they, and, and I think that's really good. But, see, it's, it, when they look at it, it's, it's a lot of money. It's not when we're talking about, you know, uh, millions. You're talking about billions of dollars now. So when, when people see that, they all feel they can get, become a part of that. And so they, they ask for more. See, I, see, I had a, an idea that they could have did many, many years ago. They could have given – each player so much money. Say you give each player that participates on the varsity level in football and basketball, and then you, you know, the equivalent with women, give each one, say, I'm going to say 200, maybe $300,000. You give each one two to $300,000 once they sign a letter, and now, at the, but they don't get that money unless they graduate. So you put it in the bank. They don't have that money until everything is done. And then it, when they graduate, they would get a check for two or three, whatever hundred thousand it is. Now they can go out into our society and be active people and do certain things and not be caught in debt because they have college college uh, debt that they owe. So you know, I, now I, I think it's, the door is closed in my estimation. Yeah, I was going to ask. You know, you mentioned ideas like that. Iowa's athletic director said the other day he thinks NIL should be for current students, not recruits. Is it even possible to close this Pandora's box now that it's been opened already? I'm telling you, I think it's quite difficult for that to occur now because the door is open. They see it, and and, and they're getting getting great monies for it. I mean, think about it. You know, kids are averaging a million dollars out of the NLI now. Now what are you going to do? And see, not only we say the kids, and we put it on the kids, the kids are just out there performing a sport it's all the people around them their parents the uh, support people and they see that money i mean it's now all of a sudden you can't ask for it back well and you you can see the pressure that it's putting on the coaches like yourself i mean this week we saw nick saban jimbo fisher and Deion sanders get into it uh nick sanders uh nick saban basically accused jimbo fisher of buying players and Deion sanders of buying players 
Neither of them took too kindly with it. I don't think any of them would have appeared in your character coach book and your lessons of things to do. Uh, are we going <laughs> to see more of this where coaches are going to vent on other people because their inability to keep up with this new arms race? Well, you know, back in the day, you know, you had these similar things occurring, not, not the arguments, but you had the similar things occurring where players were being bought in all types of situations like that. But the NCAA ruled it, it was illegal. Now it's illegal. So when it's legal, you know, you can argue about the point, but there's nothing you can do about the point. And, 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 you know, Saban just said it the wrong way. What he was saying was true. You know, he just said it, said it the wrong way. And it, and it, and it made uh, Dibble Fisher feel feel even worse about the situation because he was he was bringing out information about his kids and he didn't really want that, you know. And I think he would have accepted it better if it was only directed at him only. And so when you get all these things happening, you don't have these arguments going on constantly because of it, it's free and it's and, it, and it's legal. Yeah, the problem with with Nick Saban of all people saying it is that he's doing it from a, a position on a pedestal looking down at everybody trying to protect his fiefdom uh, so it, it's it's disingenuous if he wanted to come out and just say that there was an issue he should have gone to the NCAA and said this is something we have to deal with but the concern that I have though is is you as as a former coach if you had a situation let's let's talk just football for a second. Pitt now, Pat Narduzzi had to deal with his best wide receiver, uh, an All-American, leaves and goes to USC. There's been all sorts right. of stories about why he left and he didn't. But, but if you then generalize it and just say, what, do you, what would you do as a coach who has a player and, and the player is just in general, I'm not talking about this guy, in general right, right. thinks he can get more money somewhere else? As, as a guy who literally wrote the book on character as a coach, do you just let them go? Do you sit down with them? Is there a way to stem the tide of losing all your players because you don't have the alumni base or booster base that can compete on a money level? Well, you've, and like I've constantly said, you've opened a door. Now that door is so wide open, I don't think you can tell them, no, you can't go into that door. Uh, you know, the same thing that kind of occurred in my program, my la my latter years, the last two to three years. I lost five of my top players to, to high major programs, okay, and and they were calling me the poster board for the fifth year rule, not not uh, just transfer rule, the fifth year rule. You know what I would bring kids into the program, and my goal is to get them to graduate number one, and what you needed to know, I graduated ninety eight percent of them. But I also wanted them, you know, to get better and physically get better. So some would redshirt and so on. So they had that extra year. What when when uh, schools found out about that rule that you could you could in your fifth year go to another school and play immediately as long as you graduate from that school and they have have a have a, 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 a master's program at the school you're going to, you can play immediately. So I lost five of the top players my last year or second from last year, I had two all-leaguers. I mean, first-team all-leaguers just say, hey, one went to Louisville, one went to went to Michigan State. You remember Brent Forbes, who plays in the NBA? Yep. He went to Michigan I mean, they, they just, you know, they're all left. Now, I, I didn't like it, and I, I understood the kids because, you know, they aspired to, to, to do the, 
the best they possibly can and go as high as they possibly can. But the problem was you didn't have any control over it. And now you could have a program at one point, and it could be the next year, it could be at the end. And, and what happens is coaches are starting to lose their jobs because of this. That, you know, if you have so many people in the portal, and I've known three or four coaches already lost their jobs because they, they had a number of kids that signed up in the portal, so they, they, they moved on to another coach. This is getting out of hand, in essence. Where do we draw the line, before I let you go, in this new era between compensating athletes versus the accusation of buying recruits? It, it seems very murky. And, and and there's a fine line there. You know, before you could literally see the line. You could see if you gave a kid money and, and it wasn't part of the, his room board tuition and books, it was illegal. Not only illegal, the coach was unethical in what he was doing, unethical in what he was doing. Today, because of the NLI, they can, people can work it on the outside and you never know what's happening. And, and I'm going to tell you what's even what I'm concerned about is that players will decide to, to leave a place and they already know where they're going because they're talking to their parents or their AAU coach. So, I mean, it's really, it's really getting out of hand. Isn't it? Well, Coach, we know this issue isn't going away. We also know you've got another book coming out. We hope you will join us as that gets completed and as more news occurs. Always appreciate you giving us some time to break it all down. Oh, I love every time I talk with you guys. You guys do a, a wonderful job, and I hope we can get this situation you know, alleviated some kind of way. Well, we'll keep talking about it. You have a great day, Coach. Okay, take care. Jeff, it just... I don't know how you fix this, and I don't know how the NCAA itself survives this. The thing, though, is, is, and this is the same thing I always say about the NFL, it's not like nobody saw this coming. No, that's you, the you problem. Just, you just had a very prominent former college basketball head coach tell you that he saw this coming. Every one of them saw this coming, and everybody buried their heads it was, until it was too late it was because willful, there was a court decision. It was willful ignorance. Right. They and, all knew that they were—look, you know this. When, when you design your defense, you find out what are your liabilities, what are your weak spots to make sure you can protect against them. Mm -hmm. This has been the Achilles heel for the NCAA for as long as people can remember. How do you compensate athletes? Does it violate antitrust? Where does it fall in the courts? They should have legislated this before it ever got to the they courts. They did nothing. Nothing. They did nothing. And they're and, doing and, nothing now. Well, now they don't know what to do. Now they're hoping that legislators somehow bail them out, which it isn't. And because there's also a problem that from state to state now, there are different rules. So if you have Alabama or you have Oklahoma saying it's okay to pay athletes a certain amount, and you have states like Pennsylvania, and I'm, I'm not saying they do, I'm just picking states, you have a situation where schools are at a disadvantage based on their own legislature's priority. Just wait. The next step will be when public universities that are funded with taxpayer dollars mm -hmm. come up with NIL deals, and people will not like tax dollars going to deals like that. That will be the next step in this. And so then you're going to have private institutions 
versus public institutions in terms of what they're able to offer. So you'll have different states, you'll have different categories of universities, and there's no consistency. And meanwhile, you know, we well, there, lost... there's a side effect of that as well. If if what you're saying happens, where public universities are putting out public dollars from those universities. Well, right now they're not. No, but... no, but I'm saying if that happens, the other problem is, and I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you the reality is, is that college football programs fund a large part of an athletic department's budget, Yep. which means that you are going to have Title IX issues. You are going to have lots of other programs that are all going to disappear because they're not going to have the funding but, anymore look, to survive. That's always the argument with Rutgers, though, of why they should stay in the Big Ten when they were not playing well is because being in the Big Ten raised their profile as a university and more people would come there. Well, so you're I going to tell see, you that's the only reason. But Rutgers you're going to see justifications <laughs> that public universities should be able to participate in NIL because it will increase the exposure for the university. It will be rolled into a marketing line yeah, item. Good luck with that. The, the, you know it's going to happen. Anyway, we got like four minutes left. We talked the whole show away. I don't even know where to go at the end, Jeff. We've got the Preakness this weekend in about a million degree oh, heat. It's going to be 97 if, degrees. If we, if we had, you know, Jeff Nash or somebody on, like that would be... But you and I talking horse racing means nothing. Can we talk Phillies for a sec? You, well, hold on. Did you hear? Did you hear that? Our knowledge that of was, horse racing. No, that was the bats. They, exactly. they were completely silent. Yes. Well, that's what the Phillies do. But I don't they... understand that. On the road, they can hit like crazy, and when they come home, they just don't. So you you say that, and I actually have the the <laughs> stats crickets. from this Jekyll and Hyde rotation uh-huh. against the Dodgers, playing games that nobody saw because they started after they went to bed. Mm-hmm. The Phillies hit three hundred with scoring thirty three runs, twenty extra base hits, and eight home runs. Then they came home to play the Padres in daytime games where people could actually watch them play baseball. They hit 189 with three runs, two extra base hits, and one home run, Jeff. What is going on with this team? I, I don't get it. In entering it's the not week- panic time. It's still early. Entering the weekend, the Phillies were within one game of 500, plus or minus, after 15 of 38 games. That's when they lose three or four in a row, is every time they get but close to 500. Under Joe Girardi, they've been at 500, one game above or one below, 43% of the time. Wow, he is captain mediocre, isn't he? That is not going to get you where you need to go. They are already seven games back in the East. What is his jersey number? Who, Girardi? Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's a joke coming here. They should make it 500. I knew that there was going to be a joke (laughs) coming here. And it's not the pitching because, you know, the pitching's been okay. The bullpen's been brutal, but the pitching's been okay. No, the starting pitch, and Chris Wheeler, after a rough start to the season, has... I mean, Zach It's nice for you to screw something up. Normally, I'm the one that gets people's names wrong. We were talking hockey or whatever. I know how it is. But, I mean, the Phillies rotation, they've got a 3.02 ERA. They are not the problem. Now, the bullpen... Has the fourth highest ERA in the majors at 4.24, better than only the Diamondbacks, Reds, and Rockies. That's an improvement, though, Jeff, because last year they were 4.6 ERA for the season, blowing 34 saves, and in 2020 they were 7.06. He's still so they're had, moving in the right yeah, direction. Look, I don't think Girardi's a bad manager, but but I don't think he's a great man. He's a 500 manager. I don't understand. What he's I don't understand and, and you need to find a line. We've been talking about this with players for years. Players need to know their roles. And you have to develop a lineup and put people in it. I don't care at this point. Figure out the lineup. But I don't want to see Schwarber as a leadoff hitter. I don't want to see Reese Hoskins as a leadoff hitter. I want somebody at the top of the lineup who has a little tiny bit of speed. 
that w- that act creates havoc in the infield. You mean Schwarber, who I like the signing, but two for his last eight team with eight strikeouts, that's not a good leadoff hitter thing that you got going on no, there. No, but even if he was hitting, he's still hitting for power. Yes. He's a power hitter. He doesn't belong at the top of the lineup. We can't sit there and just, every other team is not doing this. So why do the Phillies keep going after this? We're going to put a power hitter at the top of the lineup. I don't get it. I've never gotten it. Well, we'll see if Bryce Harper's in the lineup tonight. He missed four straight games after Man, I hope injection. so. I'll be there. You will be there, and you will see the one new thing that the team did this week tonight. Uh, what? They changed the way they cut the grass in the outfield, Jeff. With the bell? There's the Liberty Bell now. Oh, look, it's cool, but is it really? That's Well, look, it's like I'm the Flyers. When you've got to show off gritty, I th- I thought, you got nothing. I, th- I thought you were going to tell me there's a New Jersey. I mean, the way- <laughs> No, they cut the I- grass. <laughs> How about if you see if the guy who cut the grass can pitch in the bullpen? That might be helpful. A middle reliever would be nice. I, I have 15 seconds. What did you think of the Eagles signing Bradbury from the Giants after they caught him? Snooze fast. Snooze fast? Yeah. I found it interesting that the Giants will pay him more to not be on the roster than the Eagles will of pay for him to be did. on the roster. <laughs> I just had to get that one in. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Any last words? Nope, I'm not even giving you <laughs> one. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.